Thank you so much for being here. Let me continue in this series, How to Have Victory. Uh, a lot that you hear tonight, it may seem redundant, but it's not for the purpose of me thinking that you didn't get it. It's for the purpose of me wanting to make sure you fully comprehend what God is telling us through his word. And tonight, oh, they opened the wrong one for Let me go back. Tonight's sermon is, Deliver me from the power of sin. Everyone say that with me, please. Deliver me from the power of sin. That's actually our prayer. That's actually our prayer, that you would be asking God to deliver you from the power of sin. We talked about being delivered from the penalty of sin when we got saved, but now the process begins of being delivered from the power of sin. Because if that wasn't a necessary prayer to pray, we wouldn't be sinning, but we all sin. If sin wasn't fun, we wouldn't do it, but that's why we're tempted by it. However, in God's purpose, he wants to make sure, he wants to make sure that you and I, we don't have any power to do it, that he is going to set us free from the power of sin. So Galatians chapter 1, 6 through 10. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ, as I mentioned last week, is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He delivered us from the penalty of sin. We are forgiven for past, present, and future. What Paul is referring to here in this uh, city of Galatia is the Jews crept in and told the Christians, well, you still have to be circumcised and follow the law. And what Paul is saying is that if God has delivered us from all that, he doesn't give us a set of rules to keep. So in case we miss one rule, we miss the whole thing. God set us free. God, and you better clap on this, God took care of everything about your salvation. Everything. Everything. And I said to you, you didn't get yourself saved, God saved you. You had nothing to do with this. So when you say, well, can I lose my salvation? You didn't do anything to get salvation. God, through Jesus Christ, did it to you, but Paul, for you. In verse eight, Paul says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let that person be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted. Let that person be eternally condemned. There's only one gospel. Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. He has accomplished everything responsible for my salvation. Come on. <clears throat> so Paul says, well, am I now trying to win the approval of men? So there are people in some churches who won't let you wear any jewelry at all. They just won't. They won't allow you to cut your hair for the women. You have to have uh, sleeves all the way to your, your wrists and dresses all the way to your ankles. And they want to give you a set of rules. And this is what Paul's talking about. We don't have a set of rules to stay saved. We believe in Jesus Christ, not Jesus Christ and just Jesus Christ. How many know what I'm talking about? That's what God gave to us. So 
We come to Jesus so that we don't have to be punished for the wrong that we did. So Paul says, am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. And these are the questions that I've asked. One, what part of it is it that dies with Christ? There's a part inside of every single one of us, male and female. What part of us died with Christ? Two, what part of us became alive with Christ? And three, is a backslidden Christian alive or dead in Christ? These are the questions I want to answer for you tonight. So in order to answer these questions, we need to understand again what actually takes place in salvation. And I said, salvation is accomplished in three parts. Here is the gospel. Justification, and justification delivers me from the penalty of sin. When you become a child of God, there is no more penalty. Well, what if I blow it? You're going to blow it anyway. You think God didn't know that? But there's no longer a penalty for you. So you don't have this fear, man, I can't live up to the rules and standards of becoming a Christian. God accomplished all that for you. If God calls you, he's going to give you everything you need to do what he wants you to do. If God calls you, he's going to give you everything you need to do what he called you to do. <laughs> Church, I'm not the type of preacher where you go, yeah, that's really good. That's good. <laughs> As a young man, I worked in a place for a chemist. And uh, I still had my personality back then. I used to like to make people laugh. And I would tell him jokes. And he would look at me, never change the look on his face, but he'd go, that's funny, that's funny, that's real funny, I like that. <laughs> and that's why I ride you when you don't clap. You, yeah, that's, that's good, it's good, it's good. Then there's sanctification, and that delivers and is delivering me from the power of sin, so that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. And there's glorification, and glorification is the third and final process of salvation. Glorification happens in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. When Jesus comes back, and splits the eastern sky, we will see him, and all Christians all over this entire world will be caught up in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. Boom. And then all those who died and are now in the graves but were born-again Christians, their spirit and their soul is in heaven, but their body's in the grave. They also will get a brand-new body, and that body will rise out of the grave, and their spirit and soul will be joined with them. So all of us will have a brand new spirit, a brand new soul, and a brand new body. Come on. And I want to start with looking at justification. And I'll repeat this again. Justification delivers me from the penalty of sin. So are you saved? Well, I was saved, I am being saved, and I shall be saved. That is the answer. So when someone says, are you saved? Well, yeah, I was saved, I am being saved, and I shall be saved. That's the three parts. So don't say, yeah, I'm saved. What do you mean? Yeah, I was saved when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But now I'm in the being sanctified, made holy, so I'm being saved. The wages of sin of, is death. is no longer it has a grip on me. This deliverance from the penalty of sin happens instantaneously. This deliverance is in the area of my spirit, 
My spirit has been made new. So which part of you becomes new in Christ at salvation? It's your spirit. Now, you know you still have a mind that thinks of things that you shouldn't be doing. And you know your body still does things you shouldn't be doing. Those are being taken, but God took care of your spirit. Then there's sanctification. That delivers and is delivering me from the power of sin. Sanctification begins immediately, but it's a lifelong process. It begins immediately, but it lasts for your lifetime. As long as you're alive, God, through the Holy Spirit, is at work to make you holy. So you don't become holy overnight. Turn to somebody and say, see, you're not that holy. <laughs> but look back at them and say, but I'm becoming holy. <laughs> and that's the difference. All of us, through Jesus Christ, are being made holy. So when someone says, well, you don't look like a Christian, and you don't act like a Christian, you just say, God is not finished with me yet. Amen. So sanctification comes from the Greek word hegios, which means to make holy. We get our English word saint from this same word. God is working out our salvation in the area of our soul. So he made our spirit brand new, but in the area of our soul, the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. I'm going to say that again. Your soul is your mind, so you got to think different. Your will, you have to choose to do different things, and your emotions, how you react to things. God is making you new up here. This will not happen in you unless you are reading the Word of God. If you're reading the Word of God, doesn't it say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? You know that before, there are things that used to make you react in a certain way, and now that you've been serving Christ, people go, how come that doesn't bother you anymore? That used to tick you off. Well, God's making me new. God is making me brand new. Because I remember when you were like, yeah, so does everybody else, but God doesn't. <laughs> God doesn't. So as we continue to be sanctified, we think different, we choose different, and we feel different than we did before becoming a Christian. So if you don't see these things happening in you, it's because you're not in the Word. You cannot sanctify yourself. You can't do that. Only the Holy Spirit can make you holy. And you can't be holier than the Holy Spirit. I know people who, they just try to act holy. I go, what are you, what are you doing? Well, God's at work in my life. I go, God's at work in my life too. But it's the Holy Spirit that makes you holy. But you'll never be holier than the Holy Spirit. Do you understand that? You can't fake holiness. You can't fake it. You can't act holy. Because right away, God knows you're not holy. The only one that gets you to be holy is the Holy Spirit. So if you're not in the Word of God daily, if you're not praying daily, if you're not coming to church like you are here, this transformation is not going to happen in your life. Then there's glorification. That's the third and final process of salvation. It happens in a moment. As I said, in the twinkling of an eye at the rapture. The word rapture, you will not find it. That word is not in the Bible. You can look for it. 
Iran is, Pastor, it's in Thessalonians. It doesn't say rapture. Rapture is not found in the word of God. Caught up is the word that the Bible uses. Caught up. We shall be caught up in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. Everybody blink your eyes that quick, and we'll be gone. They won't know where we're going, but I got to tell you something. In Thessalonians says, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall be caught up, watch this, to meet the Lord in the air. Okay. I'm, I'm glad that you got excited about that, but it frightens me. There's a purpose for being caught up. That's to meet Jesus in the air. That's why we're being caught up, to meet him. You are going to see God face to face. And the Bible says, and when I see him, I shall be like him, for I shall see him as he is. I'm afraid of that. I'll tell you why. John on the Isle of Patmos in the book of Revelation, he saw Jesus. And you know what he said? And when I saw him, I fell as a dead man. A dead man doesn't move. He wasn't blinking, his opening his eye to catch another glimpse. He was so frightened when he saw Jesus, he fell on the ground as a dead man. It wasn't until Jesus touched him and said, be not afraid, it is I. When the Bible says you're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, understand this, you and he will have a meeting. It's not just, well, I'm in, I'm in, hallelujah, I'm in. <laughs> you and him will have a meeting. You are going to meet Jesus. When we see Christ, we shall be like him. So, when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we were born again in the Spirit, receiving a new nature. Our old nature is what died with Christ. Our new nature is what is becoming alive to God. The backslidden Christian is out of fellowship with Christ and has stopped the sanctification in his or her life. So when you backslide, you stop the sanctification process of making you holy. But I'll say again, we get a new nature. Now the Bible in the book of Romans, Paul calls the old nature our old man. Some of you are still shacking up with your old man. Some of you are still carrying this old man around. And when God delivered you from that old nature, what is it about people that makes you bring up your old nature again? Brings up, you understand what I'm saying? Yes, that I'm, I don't, I'm sorry, I, I don't know what got into me. You, you back to cussing, you're getting mad, you're throwing stuff, kicking everything, you even swung at me. That's your old nature. And you have to kill that. You have to put that old nature to death. How many know what I'm talking about? You can't. Have both natures. Well, I don't mind being a Christian around Christian, but you get me mad, I'll show you what a Christian is. No, that, that's the old nature. That old nature, I'm telling all of you, men and women, it has to die. You have to put it down. And every once in a while, you'll hear, it'll open the door and creep in with its ugly head. You gotta smack it and say, get out of here. I have a new nature. I wanna live like a Christian. Our new nature is what is becoming alive. The new nature is becoming alive. It didn't just become alive. 
So the new nature in you and I is growing, is growing. Right now, there are so many different levels of spiritual maturity in this building. Okay, we're not all the same. We're not all there yet. Some people think they have already arrived. I can tell you this, no one has arrived. <laughs> because as long as your feet are still on this earth, you haven't gotten there. We're not in heaven yet. So this is why I say, when you haven't gotten there, but you want to put rules on other people so that they need to get there, you're, you're coming up with another gospel. That's what Paul's talking about. There is no set of rules. So you have to act this way and you have to do this. That's not what Christ gave us. The backslidden Christian, the one who backslides, is out of fellowship. He doesn't break the relationship. I said that last week. God's responsible for the relationship. We're responsible for the fellowship. We're not saved by believing in the death of Christ or in the work of Christ. I'm going to say that again because you're going to think, Pastor, that's wrong. We are not saved by believing in the death of Christ or in the work of Christ. We do believe these great realities, yet our faith, our saving, our justifying, our sanctifying faith rests on a divine person, the Son of God, not on what he's performed for us. Jesus is the object of our faith. Give him a hand of praise. So do you believe in the death of Jesus Christ? Yes, but I believe that Jesus died for me. Okay, so when somebody tries to have this salvation explained to you, the one that gets us excited is not the salvation process, but Jesus. It has to be all about Jesus. It's not about Jesus and this saint or that saint. Jesus and doing this or doing that. It just has to be totally about Jesus. He's the object of our faith. When we revert back to a set of rules, regulations, and demands, and then lay these restrictions on others in order to maintain salvation, we're deserting a person, not a doctrine. Please understand this. That's why Paul says, I'm amazed that you are so eager to be quickly removed from him. He died for me, not apostolic, Pentecostal, charismatic, uh, non-denominational. They didn't die for you, only Jesus. So isn't Jesus and me not doing this anymore? It's only Jesus. So if someone says, you know what? Can I compliment you? Because you're different. You're just, there's difference in you. And you say, I appreciate that. But what you see is Jesus at work in my life. Okay. Um, the Greek word says metatitheste. And why I'm telling you that, you're going to go, why are you telling us this Greek? This is a mili military term which means desertion. Other words are forsaking, abandonment, disloyalty, or divorce. We are never to desert Jesus Christ. We are never to turn our back on Jesus Christ. We are never to think, because Satan Satan's told me, you know what? I go, what? You know, you, you've been reading the, the, this Bible for 50 years. You don't have to read it anymore. You know everything in there. And I go, you know what? You're a fool. <laughs> and, and you're a liar because that's not what Jesus tells me. He tells me to read the Word of God. I will never know everything in here. 
Never. I'm still learning. I'm still growing after 50 years of reading this, going to school for it, and studying it. So I'm not going to, by God's grace, I'm not going to abandon Jesus, and I'm not going to let you abandon Jesus. I'm just not going to. That's why I'm, go ahead, that's why I'm teaching this. I want you, I want you to understand, to appreciate, and to have the full scope of what salvation is. He loved you so much. He didn't wait for you to become good. He died on the cross for you. He, he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You, you know where you could have been had you never come to Christ, and you know as well as I, some of you should have been dead. The enemy tried to kill you. The enemy tried to separate you, but thank God, and I do mean thank God, you're in church. Come on, thank God you're in church. Give him glory. Nothing's going to separate us from that. How can you allow anything to remove you from him? How could you leave this salvation and go back to your old ways? What was it about those old ways and those old habits that are so attractive to us that we leave Jesus and go back to that? And now we're ashamed of that. Is there anything worth the risk of departing from Jesus? Anything. No woman, no guy, no job, no bankroll. There's nothing worth turning my back on Jesus. Nothing. If God called me, I thank him, and I'm talking for you here. I thank him that I'm one of his children. So don't leave him for a set of rules or go back to your old ways. You'll, you'll regret it. You will regret it. He called us, and he wanted to make a way for us to be nearer to him. Think about that, please. God wanted to make a way for every single one of you to be close to him. You. 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 He wanted you. How did he even know where to find you? The word of God tells us that he called you before he even created the world. Before the foundation of the world, he called you. Now, you know, the Bible says many are called. Few are chosen. How do I go from being called to being chosen? Why did God want you nearer to him? Why? You. Why didn't God wait for you to become a better person then come after you? He found us in our sin. And he said, I love you. How can you love this? Because he says, I created you. And I know that you followed Satan, but now I'm pulling you out of that, and I'm making you one of my own children, one of my family. So hear me on this. You could do nothing for God. There's nothing you can do for God spiritually. You could do nothing for God mentally. You could do nothing for God physically. As far as God is concerned, we are of no intrinsic value to his kingdom, and we could not be instrumental in the kingdom of heaven. So why, why did he call us? Why? Why did he want you? Why did he want you so bad that you knew it as well as I? You couldn't help it. You just started weeping because you sensed the love of God. 
and he called you out of that lifestyle you had, and now you're in a church listening to a pastor preaching God's word to you. But why did he call you? What was the purpose? What was the reason for focusing so much attention on you? The son of God himself. You know, you talk about, well, I need to meditate on something. Meditate on that. Why would God call me? Why would God call you? What is it he wanted out of you? If you could do nothing for him. Well, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to wind up in hell. And people say, it's so hard to be a Christian. It's so hard to serve God. No, it's not. God doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants you with him throughout all eternity in heaven. And that ought to make you happy. That ought to make you rejoice. God wants you with him. Whether you're a cholo, <laughs> a gangbanger, a surfer, a drug dealer, a drug addict, a, you know, whatever. God wants you with them. It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter what school you went to, how much money you came from, your social status in society, your educational status. God wants you. It doesn't matter if you were French, Mexican, black, Chinese. God wants you. All over the world, he picked certain people. Come on, church. And so... God doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants us near him. And I still go, why? This is called grace. Watch this. Because the message of grace forgives the unfaithful wife, the unfaithful spouse, the woman who's married but having an affair with another man. God's grace forgives her. It forgives the, the rapist. It forgives the child abuser. It forgives the addict. It, be, it forgives the AIDS-riddled homosexual. It runs to welcome the prodigal who has not only destroyed his world, but yours as well. Grace washes the feet of the betrayer. It forgives while being crucified. It turns the other cheek. It sits down at a well with the woman whose life has consisted of husband after husband and offers her the water that will quench her thirst for love and acceptance. Why is it a battle? Because it allows us, you and I, to be the individual God created us to be. What we were, God said, I never wanted that for you. I want to transform you into what I created you to be. I want to make you something that even Satan has to say. I, I've said this. You can't find this in the Bible, but I've said this. That when we get there to heaven, we're going to walk by some angels, and we're going to go, what are you doing? We're betting. What do you mean you're betting? We betted each other that you weren't going to make it. That one's not going to make it. And here you come, walking into heaven, all happy. And we thought, surely that woman's not going to make it. Come on. Surely that man's not going to make it. But here they are in the presence of God. We said, Lord, that one gave us the most trouble. That one challenged us on everything. That one won't ever make it. Not that one. And here you are.
I told someone the other day, in fact, they said to me, Pastor Mike, I hope when I get to heaven, I can say to Jesus, where's Pastor Mike? And being my funny self, I said, what if they put their head down and say, he's not here? What? Pastor Mike's not here. And then one of the other guys, that guy's brother, he said, when we went into heaven and asked for Pastor Mike, we noticed everybody going. <laughs> and I started laughing because I said, let me tell you something. I have even said that I, even when I get to go in, that I don't want to just go in. I would really like to sit out there just for a few moments and watch you walk in. And I go, I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you. And you look at me, Pastor Mike, I know, but it wasn't me. I was just obeying him. It's all him. He did it all for you. Pastor Mike, it was hard. I know, I prayed for you, man. <laughs> I know it was hard. But you know what? I read a book on heaven, and they said, this is before the rapture, that when you get there, what was described is that there was miles and miles and miles of curtains. Because people are dying every day, every minute. And so people would stand up in front of a certain curtain, all the way that way, all the way that way. But what was going on on the other side of the curtain is that they were announcing that you were coming. Reggie Vega's coming. Reggie Vega's here. That everyone who ever knew Reggie, everyone Reggie witnessed to, everyone Reggie prayed for, they're all gathering so that when Reggie gets there and everyone's there, that curtain opens, the angels escort you in to heaven. The very first one you see is your loved ones, so you don't feel alone. You see mom and dad, you see uh, grandparents, you see the children you lost who died of whatever at an early age. You see everyone that you loved and they see you and as you're hugging them, this book said, standing behind them is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I don't know how he's doing that for everybody. That's not up to me to explain. But that when your eyes meet him, no words are exchanged but he somehow says to you, you and I are going to have a meeting when all this is finished. I want to talk to you. Because you get to heaven, and you're going to be happy to see everyone. But you know what's going to be on your lips? Where's Jesus? I want to see Jesus. I want to see the one that died for me. I want to see the one that loved me so much. I want to see Jesus. And when you see him, this book says that this person that wrote this book had died and gone to heaven and came back. That when you see him, he just pulls you in and puts his arms around you and just holds you. And there's nothing that can explain that love. You're even afraid to look at him because he's, so, he's just light. He's just light. And there's still tears coming down your cheeks. And then he says to you, well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord forever. Come on.
so all that suffering, all that loneliness, all those times you cried yourself to sleep, saying, why? All that suffering, all that times you felt like a failure, he doesn't bring it up. There's no memory of it. All there is, is love. And it's for you. And then you're going to say, oh, God, I'm so glad I read the word of God. I'm so glad I went to church. I'm so glad I lived for God. So his mercy is not based on what I could do for him, but only on what he wanted to do for me. Because you can't do anything to impress him. Stop trying. Just obey. We did not become Christians in order to go back to the standards set upon us by outsiders who wish to enslave us. Our salvation is not based upon what we're able to do to get saved or what we're able to do to stay saved. We have become the servants of Jesus Christ. And as his servants, we choose to please our Savior and not a man or a woman who wants to thrust guilt upon us or to increase the standards that would allow us to be accepted by accomplishing those things that make us feel guilty. Romans chapter 6, verse 16 says, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the ones that you obey? Whether you're slave to sin, which leads to death, or your slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Every single day, you and I have to make a choice. Today, who am I going to serve? Today, who am I going to obey? And the difference is, you can choose to serve something that destroys you, and that makes you a slave. And a slave serves out of fear. Or you can cho choose to serve, serve someone out of your own free will, and that makes you a servant. And when you choose to serve God, you choose to live for Him. You have opportunity to make a different decision every single day. On the internet, an opportunity. Am I going to look at that, or am I going to look at what I was looking for? Every single moment. Who knows what I'm talking about? Every single day, I have to make a decision. No, I need to serve Jesus Christ. And I'll end this sermon with this statement. Put that up for me, please, that last scripture. See there in the bottom? You choose the master that you want to serve. So there's no condemnation if you don't choose him. I'm not going to condemn you. You'll condemn yourself. But every day, every morning, we have to make up our minds. Am I going to be a slave to sin and go back to the way I was? Or am I going to be a servant of Jesus Christ and love him so much? Check my mailbox every day and see what he wrote to me. If I fill myself with this, this is a book that is alive. It's not dead. And some people say, well, that's just ink on paper. Maybe to you. But to me, these are the living words of God to me that tells me how much he loves me.
Satan, he doesn't mind you coming to church as long as you don't change. Satan doesn't mind you reading the Word of God as long as you don't believe it. You know, we talk about your finances, we talk about your dating, we talk about your choices, we talk about answers to prayer. All of us need wisdom, and the Bible will give it to you. And it's my desire to help you become the person God wants you to become. But again, Pastor Mike, Cathedral of Faith, we do not believe in condemnation. I will not condemn, even if I saw you doing it, I don't get anything out of condemning people, but I get excited about making you fall in love with the God that I serve. So, if you have said tonight, you know, there's some areas in my life that I still don't have a grip on, and those things are holding me back, and I want to be delivered of those things so that I can be free to serve the God that loves me so much. Or if you feel guilt and you just feel, that's all good news, Pastor, but I just can't get over this guilt I have. I want you to, so get up out of your seat and come here and kneel at the altar. Come on, go ahead and play, Pastor. Your microphone. Oh, you have one? She has one. Come on, church. Come on up here. This is about miracles. And we bring everything to the feet of Jesus. Everything in the name of Jesus. This is a house. Oh, thank you. She's got it. Thank you. We sing, come alive in the name of Jesus. and you've experienced that hope, that peace, that deliverance, come to the altar and lay hands on someone and ask God to bless them. We've all come to Christ at a place in our life where God found us as we heard in a sermon tonight. So if you're there and you realize there was a time and a place in my life that God found me, and I understand that need for hope, and I understand that need for deliverance, I implore you to come up here to the altar 
just put your hands on one of your brothers and sisters here in Christ, men with men, women with women, and just say, God bless them. God deliver them. Come on up. This is not a show. This is a place where we're all in this together. And I implore you, come and lay hands on a brother or sister and ask God to bless them as you too have been delivered and blessed. And if you're here at the altar, pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful that you are my God. I ask you, Lord, for deliverance, for hope, for peace, and I'm grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I choose you. I choose you as my master. I choose you as my savior. I choose you as my Lord. Thank you for delivering me from sin. Thank you for giving me hope. And thank you, Lord, for new life in you. I am saved, and I am being sanctified, and I'm grateful for it in the name of Jesus. Amen, and God bless you, and amen. And thank you for those of you that came up and laid hands on your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are a new creation. May the God of peace and the God of hope bring you joy and peace as you trust in him and believe in him. In Jesus' name, God bless you, and good night. Amen. Praise the Lord.